Hello, 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 everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Dog Days of Movies. My name is Eli Holm. This is the podcast where I go through and talk about whatever uncomfortable, fun, uh, <laughs> slasher, I guess, if I want to do that soon, uh, any, any movie that I find uncomfortable, but there could, there can be meaning developed from it. Um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I call it, we'll call it like going through the rabbit hole of whatever, whatever crazy movie we can find and talk about. So yeah, any sleazy movie, any uncomfortable movie, well, I'm going to talk about it. Uh, a little, little plug, um, just to start it off on the top of the episode, uh, if you want to go follow me on Letterboxd, uh, I am at Eli Holmey. So you can go find me on there and see what I've been watching recently. Uh, yeah, and let's just, I guess, before we get into the episode, I guess I'll talk about some of the movies that I've been watching recently. Uh, I rewatched Godzilla from 2014. And absolutely loved it. I, you know, I don't know what it is about that movie, but something about the placelessness and the the inhuman struggles bearing over uh, humanity and their struggles just really spoke to me in a way that I <laughs> that I did not expect from a movie that people just call oh giant monsters beating up each other. Um, that's what the sequel is, but that one, uh, I mean, for like, I five started on Letterboxd, it's now in like my top 30 of all time, I think. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to talk about that soon because I loved that movie. <laughs> um, then let's see, I watched little movie, uh, little movie 2022 called The Sadness. Uh, zombie apocalypse movie really liked it um so far it's I think it's like number nine on my top 10 list for the year uh if it stays there I don't know um I'll do a top 10 list at the end of the year with a couple honorable mentions so hopefully it stays up there enough to be an honorable mention because it was really good but at the same time, I would love some better movies <laughs> this year. Um, speaking of which, I watched Jordan Peele's new movie, uh, Nope. And you can go read my review on Letterboxd. Um, I really did not like it. And I thought it was very boring and was just uninterested in it all. It felt like one giant mess. And while I like messy movies... That one uh, had nothing to offer me in terms of grounding the messy structure of it, and I just found it to be tiresome after a while. Uh, and uh, yeah, go go read my review. I think I worded out a little better. The whole monkey thing. Uh, yeah, please stop telling people that they're stupid, that they don't like the monkey thing, and that they just don't understand it. Bro, like... <clears throat> We understand what it's trying to do. We understand the trauma, you know, um, commentary that it's trying to make and exploiting trauma and territorial uh, animal instincts and whatever else. But, like, dude, if you're going to make a monster movie, 
of that caliber, like a sci-fi monster, whatever, just make it interesting, have grounding elements, and then go crazy with it. That's why I think Godzilla is so cool, man. I don't, you know, it's like, it's just, it's just sad to see the response of that movie. And people, well, okay, I will say I am glad people are supporting that movie because it is an original idea and God knows Hollywood could use a lot more of those. So I'm glad people are supporting it. However, uh, I don't think it's very interesting. <laughs> so yeah, and the the hate towards people who don't uh, quote unquote get it is ridiculous and honestly pretty pathetic. So <laughs> I guess that's my little rant. Uh, maybe if I do a top 10 worst movies of the year, that'd be there since it is pretty low on my list. Um, I think I ended my review saying, you'll have a better time at Minions, <laughs> which, you know, um, I just think it's pretty funny, because, yeah, uh, I did have a better time at the Minions movie. Um, and then, let's see, I watched Happiness. Um, finally, I forgot the, dir the director, shit. Um, I don't know his name. Uh, it's like an iconic director as well. I don't know how I forgot it, but anyways, uh, in very moving movie about implied, uh, violence and transgression and keeping it all buried under the surface, uh, and, and finding ways to make yourself happy in a world where the masks of reality, capitalism, social order, uh, keep a noose over you. Uh, I loved it. <laughs> As, <laughs> I mean, I, I loved it, man. It was fucking awesome. So, probably would love to talk about that movie one day. Um, let's see. I watched uh, Rambo First Blood, and that was amazing fucking loved that movie. Jesus Christ. Um, so heavy. We'll absolutely talk about it. I don't even want to get into it. Um, then double featured that with Rolling Thunder because I'm following along with uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Sleezoids. And so that was one of their double features that they did and loved that just as much. So that's good. Both five-star movies. Uh, just awesome. Then uh, throughout the weekend, I watched the Slumber Party Massacre movies, uh, one and two. Didn't want to go for three. I've heard mixed things, so I just watched the first two, and yep, they are 100% five-star movies. Uh, you can't tell me anything wrong. Those movies fucking bang. Holy shit. Would love to have, like, a big party and watch those movies, because, man, they are so awesome. Uh, and also pretty horrific. Uh, the ending of the first one and the dissection of trauma in the second one. Actually pretty fucking interesting for being a movie called The Slumber Party Massacre. So, yeah. And then uh, I finally got back on my uh, Abel Ferreira grind and decided to watch King of New York, which leads into this very spontaneous episode. I'll get to it. Uh, I watched King of New York. L fucking loved it. 
Um, I think it's like top 15 on my ranked list. Man, I've been having such good luck with movies lately, and they're all just like landing in the top 30, some of them even higher. So, man, that was pretty awesome uh, to watch. Um, and yeah, loved that one. And uh, yeah, I would, I, I'll probably do an episode on it uh, sometime. But then I decided to watch, um, oh, well, <laughs> after King of New York, then I decided to take a break and watch Dash Cam, which, <laughs> 2022 horror movie, and uh, I put it at, like, number 10 on my ranked list. Um, if you know anything about it, fucking awesome. That movie rules, man. Uh <laughs> it will for sure be in my honorable mentions where I'll get into it more. Um, you know, that episode's probably going to be like five hours long, if we're being honest, because there's a lot of great movies this year and a lot of shitty ones. But, you know, that's, yeah, it's every year. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then I, I watched Dashcam, and then last night, very spontaneously, I put on New Rose Hotel. I was just... I tried to watch it once before, was too tired, and I was like, okay, this is a movie I need to pay attention to. So then finally last night, it was in my head all day. I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to do this tonight. I'm going to watch Abel, uh, Abel Ferreira's, um, I don't know how you pronounce his name, New Rose Hotel from 1994. And man, when I tell you, I fucking loved it so much. I mean it. Uh, so I guess we'll get into it. I don't really have a whole lot else to say. Um, let's see. I'm going to see uh, <laughs> fucking Marcel the Shell with shoes on in about an hour. So I'll try and keep this episode a little shorter because I do want to have time to go see that movie. So be going to see that. That'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully that makes the top 10. Um, and yeah, anything else, I guess. No, I've just been just been working, doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I do yard work for someone, so I've been mulching their house, uh, just exhaustingly mulching it. <laughs> That's been kind of funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what else to say. I uh, had a swim meet over the weekend. That was fun. Not really. My goggles came off during one of the hardest events, the 200 fly, so classic. But <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, I, I mean, it was fine. I don't know. We're having fun, guys. So, okay, let's, <laughs> let's get into it. New Rose Hotel. Let's go. Okay, and we are back talking New Rose Hotel. Um, so... This movie was released in 1994 and is directed by Abel Ferreira. Uh, again, not sure how you pronounce his name. Just a little background on him. Uh, he's very much in the New York underground scene. Uh, has made a lot of cult classics, including Miss uh, Dot 45, or Miss 45, whatever. Amazing movie. Uh, really awesome rape revenge movie. Uh, he made his underground hit, The Driller Killer, sort of a more artsy take on Taxi Driver, very much more in the exploitation, exploitation genre. 
Uh, but, I mean, Taxi Driver is still very disturbing, but that movie, t- uh, Driller Killer fucking rips. Um, movie's awesome. Then uh, he did a little stunt with uh, Willem Dafoe, and the only other one that I've seen by him is uh, 444, Last Day on Earth, um, which that movie... Would love to rewatch it. Didn't really like it the first go around. I think if I watched it in a better mindset and just let it wash over me and didn't try and understand the plot as much as I was doing, I think I would love it. So I'll do that soon, probably. Uh, yeah, he's very controversial director, but also very loved. He's known for cocaine and temper and having a temper on set, uh, and getting great performances out of Christopher Walken and Willem Dafoe. (laughs) So, yeah, he's pretty iconic director, but at the same time so underground that you've probably heard of his movies, you just, like, wouldn't know what the fuck they're about. Uh, I mean, Miss 45 was referenced in Euphoria for, I mean, like, what the fuck? Uh, that movie is awesome, Euphoria isn't, so, (laughs) um, okay, yeah, so, New Rose Hotel, uh, just a little background on this, I learned this from the, um, from the Where the Screenplay Is So Far podcast, um, I think that's the title of it, I just found them when I was doing research for this movie, and, They talked about how this movie took four years to finance uh, for Abel Ferreira, but originally this was going to be done by the director of Point Break, (laughs) and they were going to turn New Rose Hotel, the seven-paged short story, uh, very a moody flashback story, into this uh, action film a cheesy 90s underground low-budget action film, and obviously that was not going to fly. She found another movie to direct, and then Abel Ferreira read the story, and he said, okay, this movie's mine, now let me spend four years trying to get the money to make it. During that time, he made a bunch of other movies, uh, yeah, four other movies, so he puts out a lot of shit, um... And then was finally able to start making this movie. Uh, and some other fun facts. Again, all these are taken from the podcast. I'll ta- I'll link it, or I'll, I'll mention it in the description. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to link stuff in the Anchor app. Um, I actually don't know how to do it, and it's pissing me off. So... <laughs> So if I figure out how to do that, there will probably be a link or there will just be a mention of it. So anyways, uh, and during the production, Abel Ferreira famously um, uh, fired his cinematographer and camera operator uh, as well as just was had a, had a large temper and it was a very troublesome shoot for the movie but you know it ultimately it did get made just took a lot and took a lot of rewrites and apparently there was uh Agia Argento star of the movie plays Sandy she talks about how 
her, Willem Dafoe, and uh, Abel Ferreira had a, a threesome uh, sort of relationship while they were shooting the movie, which is just ridiculous, and, like, the amount of cocaine that must have been flowing there is insanity, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm there. If they, if, <laughs> if they, if they can produce this from that, and, you know, they still, like, understood the severity of this movie, like, what the fuck, man? That's amazing. So, and it also just shows, like, how Abel Ferreira is as a director. Uh, he likes to get very personal with the actors, know them. Obviously, uh, he loves Christopher Walken and loves Willem Dafoe. They've both starred in a shit ton of his movies, which is just awesome. So, he clearly has a strong relationship and loves to shoot his actors and is also very uh, sexually focused and very druggy focused, uh, while still understanding the severity of a lot of his films, which is just fascinating to me. Um, and despite the controversy and sort of um, craziness that you could call onto him, uh, I find him very fascinating. And as we'll get into, I think Neuro's Hotel uh, might break the top 10 movies of all time for me. Uh, I'm not sure where it'll be placed, but Jesus Christ, um, this movie is awesome. So let's get into it. Uh, <laughs> I knew as soon as the, as the intro started and it opens on moody guitar riffs, uh, solos, with Willem Dafoe's face just brooding around with shot on video cinematography, uh, surveillance style footage, and then the title sequence comes on and everything is just going crazy and the guitar riffs are going and you've got surveillance footage in the background, I was in it. Um, I mean, this, yeah, just to start your movie with that is genius. <laughs> um, it just puts you in this mode of surveillance and watching images and sort of, sort of sinking in a feeling through the images and the images only. Obviously, there's an accompanying guitar, but that's more just... I would say that's more just mood setting. That's not actual, like, um, understanding of the film. And then, obviously, the surveillance aspect and watching these images and videos plays a larger role in the overall theme of the movie, um, which I found uh, very insightful and just found it a great way to lay the table settings down for creating a movie. So, yeah, and then we open up on uh, Willem Dafoe and Christopher Walken um, traversing a bar, uh, talking with people, and they, they have some conversations together. Uh, uh, Christopher Walken, who plays Fox, is talking with a man who gives the gives the the hotel the gives the name of the hotel room where a corporate man named Hiroshi is staying and this corporate man is the he's a famous scientist 
and he's on the brink, him and a team of four scientists are on the brink of discovering the cure for, um, for the common cold. And obviously it's a little uh, striking now since this was released almost 20 years ago and it was supposed to be a cyberpunk um, transgressive future movie. Um, techno thriller movie, uh, corporate espionage thriller. So it's just funny that now uh, the common cold has morphed into whatever the fuck is outside <laughs> um, the coronavirus. So that was very, very much interesting to listen to that or yeah, hear that in a in a movie. Um, anyways. Uh, it, the movie opens on a seedy nightclub, uh, soaked in blood red, um, very much an underground nightclub scene, very beautiful, uh, close-up brooding shots of both the men, uh, transversing the club, or traversing the club, and talking to everybody, talking to the, to the young woman, the prostitutes, uh, and singers, um, and yeah, they're, they're both at once hookers, but they're also singers, and they do get very beautiful songs, uh, there's one line, falling in love without falling in love, and that'll come up uh, a lot later, so keep that in mind, um, but that's basically the thesis statement of the movie, is a song sung by a hooker, uh, Sandy, and she says, falling in love without falling in love. Um, so just to lay out the, the groundwork of the plot, um, you have Willem Dafoe, who plays X, and you have Christopher Walken, who plays Fox. And they're these two business partners who, uh, who interact and they... They work for corporations and spy on other corporations. And so when they learn this information about Hiroshi and how he's on the brink of discovering the, um, the cure for the common cold at one corporation, they get hired by another corporation where they're paid $100 billion each to... to uh, make Hiroshi and his team of scientists move to their corporation and become uh, workers for them and make them the money and be the ones to to get that corporation famous. So and so they do this by uh, once they find out that information and there's just a line that I want to say right now. Uh, Another thesis statement of the movie, Christopher Walken says, potato, potato, governments, and corporations. So just let that sink in for a little bit. There's no difference between government and corporations in a capitalist society. I guess there could be some differentiating. It's just uh, the, the benefiting... Um, goodies that come along with each of them and the beneficial relationship that both of them hold with each other. So let's see here. And uh, 
After Willem Dafoe um, gets his dick sucked the night before, they make a very, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was like the weirdest out of context thing to say. If you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about, but they talk about blowjobs and Willem Dafoe is, uh, he, he spends the night with Sandy, the girl who sings the falling in love without falling in love. At least I hope it's Sandy and I'm not getting that wrong. Either way, uh, a hooker sings that. And uh, yeah, so they um, they meet up in a, in a nameless hotel room. And I just love how there's no real setting. It's just these spaces of, of nothing. And these isolated characters inhabit them. And all they, all they really have is all we as the audience have to go along with them is just, is just the, the images of them talking, which is interesting. There's not a whole lot of visual storytelling in here, which is why I'm kind of fascinated that I love it as much as I do, but I do. <laughs> so, uh, Christopher Walken enters the room. Um, it's clearly the morning after and Sandy's trying to go. But Christopher Walken enters and is talking about talking to Sandy about uh, Hiroshi and how if she seduces him, um, she'll get one million dollars to to uh, to yeah to seduce him and and if he can successfully be swayed in in moving away and moving from his family and moving to the other company, then uh, she'll get paid $1 million. Now keep in mind, they're getting $1 billion to do this each. So they're really just using her. And it's sort of like a game of puppet master um, and, you know, trying to, trying to back cross the other person while still trying to maintain uh, a sense of identity in this game of corporate espionage and prostitution, and uh, what's real in this. So, yeah, that's kind of what the film uh, largely gets to. And there's some beautiful interludes here of, of just Christopher Walken and... Uh, Willem Dafoe talking and watching uh, shot on video sex tapes of what Hiroshi's into, why Sandy is the girl to do this, um, and there's just some beautiful cinematography and images here of, of uh, Sandy um, lighting up a cigarette while the skyline is in the background, and it's just gorgeous. It's very nameless location settings but you just sort of feel and soak into this story and you you just learn along the way about them which i think is very beautiful there's a scene in in, in a beautiful fog soaked uh bdsm club um and the scene is like a minute long and i swear to god it's one of my favorite images i've ever seen um it's just two people having sex on, on the bed in the middle of the club, 
uh, someone is smoking a cigarette and watching them, and then a big, uh, big giant strong man comes along and joins them, and it's just gorgeous. Um, and yeah, so I I, I want to just bring up the fact that obviously this movie is highly. It's one of those movies where you don't really understand a whole lot of the plot and you kind of have to are forced to to really pay attention to it but at the same time if you lose yourself in the haziness and the the nameless hotel rooms the cigarette smoke rising up in the blood-soaked clubs you're getting the same experience because that's exactly what this is um yeah anyway back to the plot uh, so basically, uh, Sandy is convinced, uh, takes down one big fish for $1 million versus a hundred small fish. That's what I wrote down. Um, yeah, I, I, and I, I just think this movie is really interesting because that sort of sets up the groundwork for everything, um, where you, you're thrown into, following Christopher Walken and Willem Dafoe exploit someone who ends up back backstabbing both of them in the end and you know they they get the money in the end but they're exploiting her but then Willem Dafoe falls in love with her and it's just very beautiful it's really like it's hard to just describe the general relationship between them other than it's confusing, messy, and very exploitive, and very, like, um, very seedy and underground in its portrayal of sex and prostitution and corporate espionage, but it's really awesome, and, yeah, then I would say there's about, uh, like, a 20-minute, um, montage, or not really montage, 20 minutes of scenes of them, of Willem and Sandy falling in love. Uh, they're in a pool together, and holy fucking god, that's just a hot scene. My god. <laughs> um, I don't even, yeah, yeah, Jesus. But um, it, it just, it outlines, like, them falling in love, and while she is still trying to seduce Hiroshi, to switch him to the other company um, so she can get paid and they can get paid. And then, so I would say that's the beginning of it. You learn their motivations and you learn the exploitation that Willem Dafoe and Christopher Walken are doing to Sandy, played by Asia Argento. So, or a Asia Argento. And then there's this pivotal scene, which is just fucking brilliant uh they uh sandy and x or willem dafoe meet in another nameless hotel as she's um as she's having a a night uh and then getting on to the to more seducing she has a little layover in this place and they meet in a nameless hotel to to discuss a deal um or wait wait what am i at here what am i at 
Uh, is this even the... Nope. Okay. So, uh, Christopher Walken, and this is where it's revealed that Christopher Walken and Willem Dafoe are getting one one hundred bill or one hundred million dollars to go through with this deal and seduce and use someone to seduce Hiroshi and get him or get him over to the company. They meet in another nameless hotel, and you just you understand Willem Dafoe is trying to keep his cool, uh, knowing full well he's exploiting the girl that he's falling in love with, but also he can't he can't escape the promise of money, the loyalty to Fox, and the the trust in the corporations and the the superficiality of this lifestyle um i think there's a really funny scene after the deal is successful walk in humps with his cane uh before like grabbing his back in pain <laughs> um just a very like uh, a very good image of who fox is as a person and then after this deal willem and christopher walken go to a, a club and they have a conversation where uh, where Willem asks Walken if he would rather just settle down and he says you know he asks Walken like well you know you could just settle down you know why are you really doing this and Walken goes on to say that he envies Hiroshi he envies the people who have everything, and he he envies the rich and famous, people getting the girls, and he says, it does not behoove a man to be introspective. And after that, he says, now that the heartfelt talk's out of the way, let's talk money. And Willem Dafoe agrees with that. He agrees that it's not worth it to be introspective. Um, and I think this gets into sort of the the glitz and glam and the superficiality of those flashing lights and seeing those and wanting, uh, thinking that's going to bring the ultimate happiness in your life, when in reality, it's not. And you're sinking yourself further and further into superficiality and nothing is real and you lose your identity. Um, Fox is essentially a, a blank slate uh, thinks he's powerful, but is really controlled by corporations. Um, but also, he is powerful because in many ways he controls Willem Dafoe's mindset uh, about, well, you know, we just got to exploit and make the money for ourselves. But also, Walken is envious of Hiroshi and envies being rich and famous because he's not famous. He's exploited as well. And uh, as we come to learn, he very much is. Um... All right, now we're on to the layover part. So, Sandy and Willem are spending the night in bed in a layover flight, and they just got done having sex or something like that. They're in bed, and Willem is suddenly mad and accuses her and asks, you know, how how is it? How's the cock? And... Uh, talks to talks to Sandy and is jealous 
that she has sucked Hiroshi's cock. Um, and I just think it's a very ironic scene. But, you know, for obvious reason, because he is the one who hired her, and yet he is he's grossed out by the thought that this is how it happens, and that, you know, the person you thought was was in love with you is exploited by you, and it's there's very complicated feelings there, and so it just sort of, it just sort of all, you know, spirals into that, which I, I find very interesting. So, let's see here. Uh, that scene is also very pivotal. Uh, another beautiful scene where, where after this conversation, uh, she talks about wanting to marry uh, Willem Dafoe, and whether or not this is fake and just she's saying that to get him off, get him off her back, uh, it doesn't really matter because it's just a very, uh, very great scene, and it just goes to show the the spiral into love juxtaposed with ex exploitation in corporate espionage and control versus control and how this all plans out. Um, let's see here. And then, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll get into my, my sort of uh, thesis over the entire film, really. Um, I think there's there's two theses you can have. Uh, if you're going for the plot-heavy thesis, which I'll get into now, um, there are two opposing ideologies in in the world of corporate espionage and control versus control, exploitation, and seeing the flashing lights, wanting more out of life. Uh, Willem is ready to leave this. He longs for something more. He would like to settle down and experience intimacy and experience something more meaningful. Whereas Walken, he does it all for the action. He's always moving. He finds no meaning in love. And to settle down is to give up because there's always something more and there's always a bigger sting operation and there's always more money to be made. Uh, and, you know, the control that Walken has over William, you know, it's like, it's like he says in one scene, I thought we were partners. Um, but, you know, in reality, they aren't because Walken has given up on any search and any hope for something deeper in life. And he's been completely controlled by corporations uh, and he thinks that he'll be powerful one day, get the girls, but as we see later on, he's sort of mocked at by the girls, and he's just kind of uh, a putz being controlled by the corporations, uh, who holds power over Willem, and uh, lets him in on the, on the glitz and glam lifestyle, the superficiality. Um, let's see. I think another good, uh, another good scene that sort of shows this is when Walken films as Willem has sex with four girls in what appears to be 
Watkins' apartment. I'm not really sure. It might be Willem's. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's just sort of the... Uh, Walken is looking through images at at this this act of superficiality because remember Willem uh, wants to wants to marry and is in love with Sandy but now is instead choosing superficiality and portraying it to Walken who longs for this superficiality which I just find very interesting. Um, and yeah, they, uh, then after this scene, they learn the, uh, the lab that Hiroshi is running has been destroyed for, for the, the scientists are killed. Um, essentially the, it's just a giant cover up basically. Uh, Sandy was actually going against Willem and Walken and, um, I, you know, it's like hard to really explain the plot side of this. So, and I, you know, I, I don't want to get into it right away, but, um, so I'll just stick with the plot, but, you know, it's like, it's like she betrayed them and was working for this other corporation and whatever the fuck else and was essentially a master actor in love and getting Willem to think that she was in love with him and just, you know, like, it's pretty sad, but she was essentially acting for everybody, you know, even acting for seducing Hiroshi, but also for Willem. And it, you know, it turns into this big reveal not really big, though. It's like a plot twist that doesn't really have effect on the whole movie uh, other than shining a light on this superficiality and this sort of dog-eat-dog uh, world that they're living in and how capitalism mixed with corporations and controlling and exploitation can ruin people, uh, which is interesting. Um, let's see here. Walken jumps from a balcony and kills himself, uh, again, living for that action. And his death is just another scene of action. And it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because my favorite, uh, and my favorite part of this movie comes in, which is the, uh, excuse me the 30-minute montage at the end where Willem Dafoe enters the titular New Rose Hotel and uh, basically undergoes a series of... of uh, I guess this connects back to the first episode of this podcast, Memoria, where he, he goes through his memories and ask him, asks himself, well, can you trust these images? Or were you really just being controlled the whole time? You barely have control over yourself, so how are you able to control uh, other people? And, and this love was never real in the first place. It was just an act, and she knew the whole time what you guys were doing and played with your feelings. 
and emotions and yeah it's just very it's a very transcending and a very artistic expressionistic um you know portrayal of watching your life crumble and and recognizing that you're on the run from these corporations you have nothing left basically the love you thought was real isn't and all you are doing is sitting in a dark uh, cavernous um, room in the new rose hotel looking back at your memories asking yourself well can i trust this we as the audience are asking ourselves well can we even trust this whole plot line that we just saw and ultimately does it even matter and i would argue that no not not particularly the plot line at the beginning doesn't really matter in a sense to the film's ultimate thesis it's more just it's more just um the art, art expression of how to get to these larger themes of uh, trying to maintain order in yourself and in your own life and can you even trust yourself in the face of control exploitation corporate espionage corporate control capitalism the whole shebang and just watching your life crumble as you try and find meaning in that uh, which is just very beautiful it's done in this very surreal montage where images fade over each other you're not really a hundred percent sure what's happening lines of dialogue you thought were one thing at the beginning of the movie end up being a completely different thing after a while and you just watch as a character slowly unravels and learns that there was no love to begin with in this uh, corporate cyberpunk um, world that he lives in now and uh, the relationships of sex and connection are just reduced to uh, getting superficiality for yourself and not really understanding a deeper connection it's just it's just transaction it's the transactional nature of sex uh verse uh, you know in in order to achieve uh, ultimate superficiality happiness and superficiality which w ultimately won't bring a true genuine happiness like love can bring and you know there's a lot of arguments to be made of well willem dafoe's character is an asshole to begin with he was exploiting her but also she was exploiting him in some ways uh the whole thing is just very messy um but it you know it just ends on on this note of of you can never truly trust yourself in these systems uh something's always happening what you thought was real isn't um love and genuine connection is the only thing to seek out and what are you go going to do now that what you thought was there is gone and where will you go from here how will you how will you live knowing that that everything you thought you knew is gone
Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's really all there is to say. Um, yeah, uh, so I'll, I, I guess I'll wrap it up with my final thoughts on this movie and talk about a little bit of, you know, just why I like it. Um, I love, yeah, so here, here are my final thoughts. Um, I love movies that display, uh, the transactional nature of sex and, you know, being surrounded by control, corporation, and a bygone era of America, Japan, wherever, a Dutch, or, yeah, wherever they go, in here, in New Rose Hotel, and just realizing that your control over yourself is now control over everybody else, making you want the superficiality, never, you know, uh, never stopping to smell the roses and just living in constant action, uh, which ultimately is the superficial lifestyle walk-in portrays in this movie and constantly wanting to achieve. Um, Willem tries to do that, but he recognizes that that he at, at, at once he wants to escape the transactional sex uh, that he does have, and you know the the sort of well she can give you a very good blowjob until the very good blowjob person comes in, you know, and and things of that nature. Nothing, uh, nothing is real in this. And Willem Dafoe ultimately ends where he, his whole psyche crumbles around. He tries to remember and interpret images, but ultimately can't and doesn't trust himself because he's just been controlled by everything and everyone. And what he thought was real isn't. And all that's left for him to do is just try, live and learn, and move on and try and control himself instead of controlling others. Because uh, to control others, you must first learn how to control yourself. So, yeah, I think this movie is the ultimate thesis on transactional sex, trying to reach connection in the cyberpunk futuristic side of America and whatever else in a corporate capitalist Amer uh, world and not being able to to find yourself and achieve genuine connection instead searching for a trying to achieve superficiality happiness and superficiality um, falling in love without falling in love the image of falling in love without actually falling in love, which happens a couple times in this movie. Obviously, Sandy tries to, you know, masquerade an image of falling in love with Hiroshi, but at the same time is doing that to Willem Dafoe. He doesn't know that, and it just becomes a big mess. And you could argue that while the plot side of this movie doesn't matter, and, you know, the ultimate thesis at the end, the 30-minute montage is really the only part that matters, but it sort of just drives home this idea of uh, images and can you even trust yourself when the whole world controls you um, and watching Willem Dafoe crumble like that. 
But, you know, I'd argue that it does matter. Uh, just more personal aesthetic reasons. I love it. But, you know, also it does drive home this idea that, well, we are living in a transactional world and we don't really have anything that's ourselves. So, yeah, this this one is getting a, an easy five stars from me. It's now probably one of my favorite movies of all time and I loved it. Uh, you know, some things I forgot to mention was just the the intersection of shot on video surveillance and living your whole life watching other people and how you you in doing that you never watch yourself and you never understand yourself you're controlled by watching and you ultimately don't learn anything when there's no connection between you and the individual beyond the video screen um which which is weird because, you know, they do that as a job, whereas when we watch movies and art and read books and whatever else, um, we can learn an actual deeper connection through it because the movies we truly love were made by someone who actually cares about portraying this. Um, you know, they're just trying to get at that idea that in a job and you are controlled to watch and consume this this media through shot on video surveillance and and figure out these corporate espionage schemes that you lose yourself in that and you can't even recall what your true images were in your life so, yeah, uh, other things, the aesthetic of this movie, loved it so much. The blood-soaked, foggy, hazy red lights of this film are just glorious. Um, there's, like, not a single shot of, like, a tree or a plant or something. It's cold, distant, transactional sex sexual nature of it is brilliant and just drives this idea home. Again, I'll keep saying of not connecting with anything or yourself in a world where you're constantly controlled, surveillanced, and, you know, living with this transactional capitalist corporation world. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll wrap it here. Um, this has been my discussion, dissection of Abel Ferreira's New Rose Hotel. I give it five out of five stars. It is probably one of my new favorite movies because it's just does everything I want out of a movie and drives home this idea that connection is the ultimate goal in life. Um, and you ultimately really can't do that in a lot of where we're living. So, yeah. Um, next week, uh, I'm sorry that I'm very all over the place with what my movies that I want to pick are. I just get very swayed and ultimately I'm not able to, uh, to pick a movie, but I promise next week I'll be doing Crash by David Cronenberg. So stay tuned for that. I promise next week, Crash by David Cronenberg. Stay tuned for it, okay? 
All right, if you want to watch it, go ahead and watch it. Very good movie. So, another one of my favorites. So, all right, that'll do it for this episode, guys. Uh Thanks for listening, as always. Um, You can rate the podcast on Spotify. That'd be greatly appreciated. Um, You can follow me on Letterboxd at Eli Holmey. Follow me on Instagram at Eli Holmey. And, yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, This has been the Dog Days of Movies, and I'm out of here. Bye-bye, everyone.